Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that when we gather together, we don't necessarily have a set agenda except to get out of your way and let you do your work among us and through us and to us. And I thank you that this morning that you have had the freedom and the liberty to do that. When we gather, Lord Jesus, we take you up on your promise that when two or three gather, you'll be there. And we revel in the benefit of your presence, that in your presence, there's fullness of joy. Now we approach your word. We approach the sacred scriptures that you have given us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would now speak to each one of us and that you would speak through me and give me words to say that are your words and not mine. I pray that every person under the sound of my voice, whether in this room or some other room somewhere else in the world, that our eyes would be opened and we would see what you have planned and purposed for us to see this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, it is that time of year. It is uh, the, the time of year that we celebrate uh, ultimately, next Sunday, that we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and uh, the greatest victory that's ever been won. And uh, today I have entitled the message, Christ, Our Passover Lamb. Last Sunday, uh, we had a, a, a giddy, uh, joyful uh, mes- message that everybody really enjoyed entitled God's Wrath <laughs> and the Human Condition. We did we did end uh, the message on some positive and, and uh, obviously, but you, you cannot address Easter. You cannot address the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ unless you address the wrath of God. Um, last, last Sunday, and I'm, I'm, it's still available on Facebook, it's still available on YouTube, it's still available on the iTunes podcast. Take your pick, and if you're really, really old school, we can make you a CD. <laughs> if you want a cassette, you're out of business. <laughs> oh, and we can put it on a thumb drive for you if you have, some of you have USB drives in your cars. But last Sunday, we talked about the fact that we are all infected with a deadly virus. No, we're not talking about COVID. We're talking about something more deadly than COVID. Okay. You, You can't say that, Larry. And this virus, that this deadly virus entered into the human race in the Garden of Eden. Of course, when Adam... And Eve chose to disobey, Adam chose to disobey God. Eve was deceived. And from that point, all, everybody say all, the human race was tainted with sin. Therefore, because we are infected with a deadly virus that began in the Garden of Eden, 
Because of that, therefore, we were destined for God's wrath. Destined. You can read that in Ephesians 2. We were children of wrath. We were by nature children of wrath. In other words, we were by nature those who were destined for God's wrath. Which teaches us that the wrath of God must inevitably come upon wrongdoing. The wrath of God must come come upon wrongdoing. Or God's justice demands that the sinner be punished. And we talked about that's, that's not what God does. That's who God is. God is just. God's nature demands justice. And when there's injustice, God's nature demands of him to do something about it. And that is to punish and to judge. Which brings us to today. And if you would turn with me to John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 19 through 37. And I know that's in the middle of a paragraph. And if if my OCD self can get over it, you can too. But if you would mind standing while we read the sacred scriptures. And I'm reading once again from the English Standard Version. Verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, this is John the Baptist, obviously, who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then are you, Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you, that's interesting that he said among you. Among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Let's say that together. Behold the Lamb of God. And the important part, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. (coughs) Excuse me. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, which would be the Father, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have bore witness that this is the Son of God. Two more verses. 
The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. One more verse. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. You could be seated. It's interesting that when the Bible says they followed Jesus, the next thing Jesus says is, he turned and said to them, What are you seeking? In other words, what are you doing following me? A test. So here we are, a human race infected with a deadly virus. As, as Rob alluded to earlier, slaves cannot set themselves free. We needed someone to atone for our sin so that the wrath of God would not come upon us. Now, let me just say this, and I said it last week. The wrath of God has to come upon somebody. You know, God's not a, a, a 21st century parent when he just walked up and said, well, you didn't really mean it. We'll just, we'll pretend it didn't happen. No, that's not, God can't do that. It's not that he won't, he can't. And I said last week that God cannot withhold his wrath from the punishing of sin any more than I can tell you to hold your breath for 30 minutes or something. You just can't do it. It's not possible. Someone to absorb the wrath intended for the human race. Someone had to come. Someone had to be there. Someone had to uh, to uh, receive the punishment of God. In the scripture, as we study we see the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus in our place. He becomes our Passover lamb. Romans 5 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Lord Jesus. The same Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica, Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus came so that you and I and all millions of people would not have to absorb that wrath, but he absorbed it. We'll look at Ephesians, I mean, Isaiah 53 in a moment, but we find from Isaiah 53 that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Lord. Some of the progressive uh, namby-pamby theology we have today tries to tell us that a loving God would never punish his son, would never kill his son. That's not what the scripture says. He didn't, he, he didn't crush him because he hated him. It wasn't the will of God to crush him because he disliked him. It wasn't the will of God to crush him because he was a bad son. It was the will of God to crush him so that you wouldn't be crushed. God directed his wrath toward and upon Christ. And therefore the death of Christ appeased God's wrath. And satisfied his holy and righteous demands against sin. There's a story of, of 
farmer or a man. I don't know if he was a farmer, but he had a, a farm. I guess he was a farmer then, wouldn't he be? I'm fat, but I'm slow. My wife hates it when I say that. Uh, and he heard that there was a, a prairie fire headed his way. That it was on fire and it was moving towards his farm. And so he gathered up the family and they get, went around and they set fire to the ground all around their farm. But they controlled it. They set fire, let it burn completely and then put it out. And then they, as the prairie fire made its way to them, they watched as it got to where the edge of where they had burnt the ground. The prairie fire, the fire had nothing left to burn. So their farm was protected. It just went around them because it had already been burnt. Can't burn it twice. Nothing there to burn. No fuel. The only place of safety is where the fire has already been. See where we're headed with that. And so it is with the wrath of God. The only place of safety is where the wrath has already, the fire of God has come upon the wrath. God's wrath has already been wrought at the cross of Calvary. When God's wrath comes toward you and me, he gets no further than the cross. He took our place. He is the Passover lamb. I cannot do justice today to Passover. If you would like to do a study, write down Exodus 12 and do your study. But generally speaking, and hitting the high tops, obviously the 10th plague, when the children of Israel were trying to get out of Egypt, the 10th plague was that God told the children of Israel, go find a lamb. Find a perfect lamb with no blemish. Keep it in the house four days. Sacrifice the lamb. Take the blood from the lamb and put it on the doorpost and the lintel. It's always been amazing to me that you just did the sign of the cross when you do that. And when he said, when I, and when the death angel, when I come through Egypt, where I see that blood, I'm going to pass by that that dwelling, but everywhere else, I'm killing the oldest born of each household. I said, well, God would never do that. He's a loving God. Well, you can just sort that out with him. But the scripture says it this way. When I see the, by the way, just in case you didn't get the image that I was trying to portray. The blood is on the doorpost. And the lentil, the cross. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass you by or pass over you. Thus, the word Passover. And shortly thereafter, the children of Israel were given the instructions, as Rob talked about, to have this festival and how to celebrate Passover Every year, reminding themselves of that day when the death angel swept through Egypt, but passed over their places because of the blood of the lamb. 
obviously we know that the old covenant rights are a shadow of what comes in reality. You can learn that from Hebrews. And this exercise of putting the blood on the doorpost and passing over when God sees the blood, we realize that's a shadow of what would come. And, of course, in our case, what did come. Because before the beginning of time, you've heard me say a thousand times, it wasn't that Adam and Eve sinned and God said, uh-oh, what are we going to do now? Oops. But Jesus was never a plan B. Jesus was never an afterthought. But from the beginning and before time, if there is such a thing, he was the foreordained Lamb of God. Peter tells us this in his sermon in Acts chapter 2. He says, he was delivered up according to the, watch these words, definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Oh, but you crucified and killed by the hands. He was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But a definite plan in God's foreknowledge. Bible tells us on more than one occasion that Jesus was slain before, everybody say before, before, before the foundation of the world. Well, no, he wasn't physically slain. We know that. But he, it was as if he was already slain since the beginning of time, since before the foundation of the world, he was already slain because God sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. He knew. Definite plan. Peter writes, you were ransomed from the feudal ways, watch this, inherited from your forefathers. The virus, the deadly virus that you and I inherited at birth. Not, you were ransomed not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish. Or spot. I said last week that Jesus came as the Son of Man. He was just as much man as you and I. He was just as much flesh and blood as you and I. He got hungry. He got sleepy. Sometimes he got angry. He everything that we go through. The Bible says he he experienced everything that we do except he was without sin. Here comes this man who has every feeling, every emotion, every physical attribute that you have. You cut him, he bleeds, obviously. And yet at the same time, he was just as much God as he had ever been. He was Jesus, the son of God. He was the son of man. He was very God, very man. And because of that, the sacrifice on that cross was without blemish and without spot. And yet... There was a human being on that cross taking the place for humanity. It wouldn't have worked if some other species would have been hung on that cross. It had to be a human. Remember, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. I'm not going to read a passage, but in Isaiah 53, uh, which is uh, almost like the New Testament, uh, we read in verse 6, 53, 6, 
uh, it says he was, uh, it says all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his or to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All, you know, we've already you know, established that the word all means all. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. We have met the enemy and he is us. And because of that, God laid our iniquity, our lawlessness on him. You're not going to turn, but if you were to turn to Leviticus 16, if you're taking notes, you want to write that down. Uh, The priest would take two goats in the sacrificial process. He'd take two goats and one of the goats they would sacrifice on the altar for the, for the sins. The other goat, the priest would lay his hands on the head of that goat, uh, ostensibly placing the sins of all on the head of that goat. And then someone would take that goat and lead them out of the city as far away as they could, out of sight, out of mind. It's interesting. The Bible says Jesus was crucified outside the camp. But that goat would be gone. We call it the scapegoat. And the sins went with the scapegoat. And God laid the sins of all humanity on his son, who became our scapegoat. What's interesting about this whole thing is his posture. His posture as the sacrificial lamb. He certainly did not respond the way we would have. Bible says, he opened not his mouth. In a, in a time when he could have rose up. In a time when he could have resisted. In a time when he had all of the righteous uh, wherewithal to object. He opened not his mouth. Paul Hansen theologian from Harvard University says the servant did not submit to affliction through pathetic resignation, but as a bold choice to participate with God in an act aimed at breaking the stronghold that sin had maintained for countless ages over the human family. He had a purpose in not opening his mouth. He had a reason for not opening his mouth. And that is because you and I and all of humanity needed to be redeemed. We needed a Passover lamb to take our place. And had he opened his mouth and objected to the process, then we would have forfeited or we would have been, we would have lost our lamb. And in so doing it, he accomplished the pleasure of his father by doing what his father sent him to do. Open not his mouth. When the priest of the old covenant would go in and make sacrifices, he would do it over and over and over and over. It was a constant sacrifice. And this is because of various things, but one of the reasons is he was sacrificing a lamb, not the lamb. 
And he had to do it over again and over again. And the other reason he was doing it repetitively is it was a shadow of what was going to come. He was, he was every time a priest sacrificed a lamb and laid hands on the scapegoat and sent it out. He was prophesying without saying a word for what was to come. Jesus came to do a completed work. To provide a new and more satisfactory sacrifice that would deal with sin, our sin, once and for all. Hebrews tells us after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We all know what it means when you sit down. He's done. Nothing left to do. You work. You work, and then when you get done working, you sit down. Now, some people sit down before they work. (laughs) We're not talking about that. He sat down. Later on in chapter 10, it reads, But this man, capital M, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever. Sat down at the right hand of God. Sat down. I think there's at least one more time, maybe two, in the book of Hebrews when it says that Jesus sat down. One sacrifice forever. You notice Jesus hadn't been back on the cross. You might have noticed that. Because it's not necessary. He fulfilled the Old Testament. Sacrificial system when he became the once for all offering for our sins. He didn't need to do it again. He didn't need to come back and die again. It's, it's a, it lasts, it it goes longer than the Energizer Bunny forever. Isaiah 53 says he had borne our griefs and sorrows. Literally, sickness and pain. He was pierced for our transgressions. This is the lamb now, the Passover lamb. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was chastised that we could be at peace with God the Father. He spent some period of time... Away from his peace with the Father. Why have you forsaken me? So that you and I could be at peace today with the Father. With his scourging, with his stripes, we are healed. The role of the Passover, the eternal Passover lamb, was to suffer as a substitute and hence to carry away sin. Carry it away, not to pretend it didn't happen. He satisfied our sin. Sinners are justified by the work of the Lamb. We are not influenced. Sinners are not just, you don't just pretend it didn't happen. But we are, we are justified. And that's why, and we quoted it last week. We probably quoted it every week. That's why he who knew no sin became sin. 
so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Some more Calvinism today. For in the cross of Christ, as in a splendid theater, the incomparable goodness of God is set before the whole world. The glory of God shines indeed in all creatures on high and below, but never more brightly than in the cross, in which there was a wonderful change of things. The condemnation of all men was manifested. Sin blotted out. Salvation restored to men. In short, the whole world was renewed and all things restored to order. In some ways, not every way, but in some ways, humanity was restored to the Garden of Eden. And one of the things Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection does... It removes the flaming sword from the entrance of the garden so that we can get back in and partake of the tree of life. Are you, are you glad yet? Tetelestai, tetelestai. It's easy for you to say is the word that means it is accomplished. It is accomplished. The perfect tense, I don't like doing this very often, but it's important that we look at this. In that word, in that statement, when Jesus said it is finished, and many other times in the Bible we see this word. The perfect tense of the verb speaks of an action which has been completed in the past with results continuing into the present. Now think about that. I'll read it again. The perfect tense of the verb speaks of an action that has been done in the past. It's been completed in the past. But the results continue into the present. The death and the completion of Jesus' work on the cross in the past continues into the present. In other words, it is still finished And it keeps on working. It is finished, but that's not the end of the story. The rest of the story is it was completed and the work being done continues to this day. Continues in your life and mine. Because we have this Passover lamb. Won't the worship team come back up? This is your warning. Because try your best to follow me as they get in place. The Bible says, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Y'all know what song I want. I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Saying, 
with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Everybody say slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It's the only proper response we can have to this Passover lamb. We enjoy salvation today. We enjoy peace. We enjoy uh, joy. We enjoy a relationship with Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. We enjoy the forgiveness of our sins because of Christ being our Passover lamb. But our Passover lamb only needed to die once. And then next Sunday, we're going to talk about his victory. Amen. Stand and sing with the worship team as we celebrate the Lamb of God. Oh, yeah.